Now let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 2, 19-22, where we will continue our exposition of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Hear the word of the Lord. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And also, let us read from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also, as lively or living stones, are built up, built up, a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, be, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God bless the reading of this holy and infallible word. And with that, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the Holy Spirit who inspired it. We are also thankful for the Holy Spirit who enlightens your people to it, who illuminates our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, so that we may understand it, so that we may believe it, so that we may cherish it, so that we may, Lord, obey it and preach it and glorify you by it and enjoy you forever. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of your word about your church. This is God's church. In Jesus' name, amen. This is God's church and other churches that form the Holy Catholic, which means universal, apostolic church according to the Nicene Creed. Last time we established the fact 
that Christ has only one church. The Apostle Paul talks about the new covenant community that God created through the merits of his son's precious blood and righteousness. Jews and Gentiles have become one through repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Greek, bond and free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. This time let us establish another fact, and that is that this is God's church. How is this God's church? How is the church which Christ purchased with his precious blood, the church of God? First, it is the kingdom of God. At one time, Gentiles or non-Jews in the Ephesian church were strangers to the kingdom of God until they became saved and then joined their Jewish Christian compatriots who came to faith ahead of them. Verse 19 again. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, you have full citizenship in the kingdom of God. You, that is you Gentiles, you of the other nations of the world that were without God, because you were without Christ and without hope, were at one time aliens, but now no more. It says in verse 12 that at, what, that at the time you were without Christ being aliens, having no hope, and without God in the world. That was your condition. That was your spiritual condition. We are not citizens of the kingdom of God by first birth. We become citizens of that kingdom by second birth, as our Lord taught in John 3, 5, and 5 through 7. John 3, 5 through 7. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. This is what he said to a religious leader, someone who had the oracles of God, who had it memorized under his hat. And yet, he did not know what it meant to be born again, though it was taught in their scriptures. And he was a master of Israel, a rabbi, who should have known, but didn't know. It shows once again, that it is of God. It is of God that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. You and I may have never been under an earthly monarchy like jolly old England, but as Christians, we are the joyful subjects of the kingdom of God's dear Son. Think about that. Jesus is our heavenly king, and for that matter, he is the king of kings of all kingdoms that reign be they of Satan or of men. In Psalm 45, 6 and 7, it is said in David's prayer to God, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter 
of thy kingdom is a right scepter, in it a scepter of righteousness. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. He is a far different king than anyone we know. He is a far different president than the world has ever known. And we become his princes and princesses by virtue of his blood, as it says in Revelation 5 and 6, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the Heidelberg Catechism explains what it means to be a Christian. Because I'm a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. And so that I may, as a prophet, confess his name. As a priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And as a king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And hereafter, reign with him eternally over all creatures. Imagine that. And it begins now in this life. As we take possession, as we take dominion of what God has given to us. As we take ownership of Christ's church. This is what I tell uh, the, the churches back in the Philippines when we had these conferences, the leadership conferences and, and even uh, church uh, uh, conferences where the community is invited. I tell them, you need to take ownership of your church. This is not our church, meaning the RCUS's church. This is your church, the POCRC. And I'm telling you all the same thing. This is your church. If you don't take ownership, ownership of it, it'll be taken away. Because it's happening. It's happening. And one day our citizenship will be transferred to heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Philippians 3. For our conversation, and that word conversation can be translated citizenship. It could also uh, be translated lifestyle. But in this case, uh, it is our citizenship, like the citizenship that we have already been given by the new birth in the kingdom of God. It will continue only in a different location, heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning he is yet to come. Who shall change our vile body. This is a vile body. Meaning it's imperfect. That it be fashioned like unto his glorious body. The glorious body of Christ. His bride will be a glorious church in that day. According to it, the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Don't think he can do it. Don't think he, can ch he can't change you and me. I.e. his people. I.e. his church. Into that glorious and spotless bride because he's doing it. I hope you're with the program. How is it God's church? Because it is also our Father's household. It says in verse 19, and of the household of God. God has a household too. He has a family too. He's a father also. We are his children. Those who belong to the church are the children of God, born in his bloodline. In one place in John 1, 12 and 13, it says, But as many as receive him, meaning Jesus, to them gave him power or authority to become the sons of God. Now that word, sons of God, actually is representative of all 
of the children of God, male and female, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, not our blood, his blood, but not our blood, it's not inherited, nor the will of the flesh, meaning it is not by human persuasion, by coercing your will to believe in Jesus, that never works. It never works to force people into the kingdom of God. Nor the will of man, man's free will. There's no such thing as man's free will, meaning that our will is, is in bondage to our nature, and if our nature is sinful, and if you're unsaved, you're an unbeliever, you're in bondage to unbelief. And the only one that can set you free is a strong, stronger man than the strong man of your house with Satan until you come to Christ. Because you're a child of the devil. You're a child of wrath. You're a child of disobedience until you're made a child of God. See, that's how it works. And that's how one becomes a child of God and belong to the family of God. Our Heavenly Father, as the head of the family, governs, leads, provides for, and protects his household himself. We depend upon his care, don't we? I hope you realize that. Our Lord said in Matthew 6, 31 and 32, Matthew 6, 31 and 32. I, I love this passage so much because I feel the Lord is showing his fatherly care over us therefore take no thought meaning don't have your minds filled with thoughts thinking about things that you can't do or can't uh, uh, act on because it's not the time or the Lord hasn't given you the wherewithal at that point, or because God hasn't yet decreed it. See? So, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall you eat? Shall you drink? Wherewithal shall you be clothed? Those seem to be very basic. We take that for granted, that we have all the above, especially in America, where even the homeless have an EBT card. They're not hungry. They may not look too good, but they're not hungry. And I'm not putting that down, by the way. I'm not putting that down. I'm just trying to illustrate my point. And that is that our Heavenly Father provides for our needs, as is said in the next verse. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek? Who doesn't? But let's remember who we have as our Father. For your Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Also, as we grow up in the church family, we learn to be like God, our Father, in doing good things to others in Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see that? 
As we grow up in the family of God, we learn to do good to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We learn to do good to our grandchildren in the Lord. We learn to do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. That's a special, special thing. It's a special regard. Even as our Heavenly Father regards his children as very, very special. Their cries are not gone unheard. None, ever. Though they be undeserving of the least of God's mercies, as we all are, yet they are not. His face is against them that do evil, but his ears are open unto their cries. Wow. Praise God. And he teaches us, day by day, grace by grace, glory to glory, how to love in kind, to love him, our Heavenly Father, to love his blood-bought children, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. How is this God's church? Thirdly, it is the temple of God's people, meaning the temple made up of God's people. Verse 21. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Notice, fitly framed together. I, the Lord is a master carpenter. Not only, <laughs> I am sure, when he was serving his adopted father, Joseph, on this, in this uh, present life, but of the universe and of the church, which he built. As he said, I will build my church. The Old Testament temple, by the way, was a place where one would go to meet God. The Old Covenant community of God's people would travel up to the temple three times a year and offer calves and oxen and goats and sheep, lambs, as a sacrifice for their sins, and then would pray. One day Jesus Christ would come and offer the perfect sacrifice of all for the redemption of all his elect children. Once and for all, it says in the book of Hebrews. It also says in the book of Hebrews, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. What he's speaking about is his own body, his human body, which he took on, and his human nature, which he took on when he became man. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That body. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, and that is not the holy place of the temple, which was still standing at the time that Christ was here. He never entered into that. Isn't that interesting? And yet that is his rightful place. And yet he enters into one that that, that, that points to, that that earthly holy place points to. And that is the holy place of heaven. He entered into heaven in our flesh. Once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's in Hebrews chapter 9, 11 and 12. And so the temple of Jerusalem came to an end, finally in 780. God himself ripped the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, or the inner sanctuary, where God would meet with his people. 
vis-a-vis the high priest. He tore that from top to bottom to say, welcome all of my people into my presence, into my glorious home, which is now yours. So that now we can come in. And why? Because his flesh was rent for our sins. His flesh was broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And now we may enter into God's presence with boldness by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that's that curtain, that is to say, his flesh. Hebrews 10, 19 to 20. And we, in turn, as God's people, become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ta-da! In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And also, we are the living stones, like Jesus, who is the living stone and the chief cornerstone. We are living stones that make up the temple of God, and God is still building it, still building it upon the superstructure of Jesus, our rock. It says in 1 Peter uh, 2, verse 5, you also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We read that earlier. Spiritual sacrifices? What are those? Well, that's not what Jesus did on the cross. That is why those who still continue to offer up the oblation of the Mass or some comparable re-sacrificing of Christ each time that they meet, sometimes every day, are really doing something that the Bible considers considers to be, that God considers to be abomination. Because that, that work is completed. Our Lord has risen and has ascended and he now intercedes at the Father's right hand. Receive our prayers and one day to come to judge the world to bring his own be with him forever so what kind of spiritual sacrifice are we talking about first praise Hebrews 13 5 sorry 13 15 by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Cheerful giving, verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, that means to use money, is really what that means. Forget not, with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Our tithes and offerings are not unimportant. They're part of our spiritual sacrificing. And then Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Peaceful and holy lives. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see 
the Lord. In other words, if these are not evident in your life as the fruit of your life, and if these things are not evident in your life as the praise that comes forth through your mouth and the service that comes forth in your living unto God, then you will not see the Lord because you're not the Lord's. Because these must be evident, you see. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Surrendered lives. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See how plain that is? We're not our own. And so stop trying to act as if your life is yours. It's God's if you're in Christ. And lastly, for this portion, this is a part two. How is this God's church? Fourthly, it is the Spirit's habitation. Verse 22 of our passage in Ephesians 2. In a Bible study like this, you, or in a sermon like this, uh, there's much uh, to consider in all of Scripture because of the character of the church and the likeness of the bride to the bridegroom. It is the Spirit's habitation in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives here. He lives here by first living in each one of us who are His. We are the habitation of God. And then His people, the church, become the habitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, the church is a sacred place. And nothing should violate that. In 1 Corinthians 3, 17, If any man defile the temple of God, and it's not speaking of just this temple, although this is part of it, meaning you, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, but the church, because it is speaking to all of us. Him shall God destroy. That's how serious God takes His church. Don't think that just because we're a small congregation that, that, that God doesn't care for us, that God will not defend us and protect us if necessary from those who would destroy his church or defile his temple. Oh no. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Notice, ye is the, is the plural of you. When it's ye, it's the plural, i.e. the church and not the individual Christian. It is easy to defile the temple of God. Whenever we walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Have you heard that in the scriptures or read that in the word of God? It's all over the place, especially in the epistles. And especially in the epistles of Paul. When we become men pleasers or men followers, and that, there's a lot of that going on. And if that's going on, it's defiling the temple of God. These who are using the church 
for notoriety or fame or fortune. Oh my, I hate to be in their shoes when the judgment day comes. Ooh, I'm already shaking my boots because I know that it ain't, it ain't good at all. Pardon my English. Because if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. First Corinthians three, beginning at verse four. First Corinthians three. This was going on even back then in the time of the Apostle Paul. I'm not reading the whole passage, but just enough to give you an idea about what is going on. So it says in First Corinthians three, four, and five. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? In other words, we're just instruments, fallible, sinful instruments at best. Who are we to take anything to ourselves, much less the glory of God? God forbid that any should glory in his presence. The outcome of that is never good, according to uh, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, meaning those who are in the Spirit of God, those who are walking according to the Spirit, but as unto carnal, those who are walking according to the flesh, even as unto babes in Christ. He wasn't saying they weren't Christians, but they were not walking as Christians. If anything, they were walking as Babies, when they're already grown up, when they're already several years into the Christian faith, they're still like little babies drinking milk and not eating solid food. You know what happens when you're like that for, for very long? You become dwarf. You become stunted. A stunted dwarf Christian. Now you're still going to get into the kingdom by the skin of your teeth. But that's not glorifying God. That's not serving Christ. That's not living to your fullest. It goes on. I have fed you with milk and not with meat or solid food. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. If I were to feed you with solid food, you, you gag on it. You choke. Just like a baby that's not ready for, for Gerbers. For Gerbers. Neither yet now are you able. You're still not where you should be. The Apostle Paul is using such pastoral uh, words and a pastoral way of explaining things so as not to crush the people of God in spirit, but he still is trying to rouse them up into the service of the king. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Oh my, there are all these things that shouldn't be in the Christian life in you. And he's saying this with a broken heart. He's not saying this because he hates them. He's not saying this because he dislikes them. He's saying this because he loves them. You may not like someone, but you still love them. Have you ever heard that before? There's some Christians I, I don't like, but I love them. <laughs> Figure that one out. And if you have any questions, talk to me afterwards. Because I must proceed. 
It is the God-given duty of pastors and elders to consider the spiritual state of the flock and if they are growing in the Lord. That's our duty. It is likewise vital for every member to walk each day in the Spirit. In other words, to be about their Father's business. To be about their, to be about their Savior's business. To be about the Holy Spirit's business of working in them to will and to do of God's good pleasure. In Galatians 5, 22-23, this is in closing now, we come to the end of this portion, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Let me read through to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, meaning no law condemning one who is walking in the Spirit after Christ. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Crucifixion is a process. You're not dead yet until you're done being, until you're dead. It is a process. So we are being crucified. We are, we are dying. To use the words of the Apostle Paul. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's put all those childish things aside. Let's become mature believers, following after the model of Christ, and we will be good to go. Because this is God's church. Not pastor's church. Not the church of the RCUS. Not the church of even us. It is first and foremost His church. The church of the living God. And how? As we've learned this thus far this morning. It is God's kingdom of which we are citizens. It is our Father's household of which we are his children. It is God's temple made up of his people as living stones after him, the chief cornerstone. And it is the habitation of the Spirit of God. This is to be continued, shall we pray. Oh, Father, help us to see, in fact, what your Spirit is saying to all the churches such as what we have heard from this portion of your word, how that this is your church, O oh God, O oh triune and sovereign and covenant and holy and righteous God. Thank you for your having given to us the desire even to be here this morning. And moreover, having given many of us the desire to be a part of your church becoming members, confessing Christ before the brethren and before men. Because the one who does, you will confess before your Father and his angels in heaven one day. All this we pray, asking for the forgiveness of our sins in Christ's precious name.
We'll now sing uh, the hymn, uh, last hymn 690. So turn to it, please. And, uh, stand as we sing this one. 690. I think I can play this one. 